You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. The Lions 24-7 podcast is back with episode two this week. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you, and Penn State players continuing to get back in their groove here in State College. Going to be an influx of Phase 2 players as this uh, reuniting process continues. That's going to take place into the weekend. A lot of freshmen coming on board. Big step for them. Uh, Several of them were hoping to be on campus weeks ago. Getting a bit of a late start on their college career, uh, but if you've heard recent interviews, uh, a guy like Micah Bowens, prime example quarterback coming from Las Vegas, he's been sitting anxiously, uh, waiting to get the green light to get here. That happens for a lot of these guys this weekend. Among that group of freshmen is Malik Mega, the latest Canadian prospect to head to Penn State, the top-ranked wide receiver out of Canada from Quebec and Montreal. We're going to get into a conversation with him later on here in the show. Some thoughts on Penn State's recruiting efforts uh, efforts up there in Canada, what he sees in that wide receiver room, his early engagement with new positional coach Taylor Stubblefield. All that coming your way in a bit. We'll talk about Noah Kane in the, in the running back room for Penn State. Kane joined us for a conversation on Tuesday, his first media availability since the Cotton Bowl in Dallas where he scored a couple touchdowns. And also, the NCAA takes another step forward towards scheduled kickoffs. We're going to start there in a second, but Sean, you're wrapping up your stay at the beach. I'm about to embark on one. I uh, hope you enjoyed your time there. Yeah, it's time to tag out. And once again, apologizing for the audio as I'm, I'm recording on the uh, headphones here. But uh, yeah, it's another step back. Obviously, the the NCAA, NCAA approved its preseason football plan this week, which isn't really much different than we expected to see some from some of the leaks and some of the things that people have said in the last uh, couple of weeks. But uh, you're getting those guys back. The freshmen come in, you know, fill out your class this weekend. Got a couple of guys to watch there. And, you know, guys like Parker Washington and Norval Black, obviously we're going to look at the uh, the guys that could potentially contribute at the receiver position because we talk about the receiver position so often and it is so open. So a couple of storylines going in there. Mega, we're going to talk to later. You talk to. Um, I'm sure it's a, a great interview. I, I haven't listened to it, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's kind of a different schedule for him. We're going to talk about him later. So and there's a lot to, lot to look at right now. And and as we get into the weekend, I mean, you just kind of fill out that roster and see who's, uh, see who's ready to go. If you're looking for a refresher, it feels like it's been uh, years since signing day last December. Um, we will have a large piece up on the website into this weekend on the remaining players who are uh, coming to campus. Uh, Norval Black is the exception there, uh, being a junior out of Lackawanna College. The rest, uh, freshmen coming straight out of high school. You'll see the full list, a little bit of a a refresher, as I said, uh, to what these guys are about, how they were viewed as recruits, kind of the quick synopsis of their journey to Penn State. So look for that coming up on the site. Um, But first off, Sean, we are now uh, almost two full weeks into this phase one process. Began last Monday when Penn State uh, players started getting back to campus. Many of them, well, several of them uh, had stayed in State College through recent months, but were not able to get together for organized team activities in this kind of structure. Phase two, uh, Micah Parsons, who we spoke about last episode this week, he's one of the rare veterans who who are kind of onboarding as part of that phase two process a lot of the young guys who are going to have to get acclimated in a hurry. But we now have some firm dates because the NCAA has approved their preseason football plan. Part of that was was opening the door for these voluntary workouts, which Penn State started this week on Monday, continuing into this week. that there were, It's a different thing. Noah Kane talked to us about it. Uh, they're not hugging. They're not high-fiving. They're wearing gaiters over their necks and their, and their uh, faces. And so not working out like normal, but working out, which is a start. July 13th, that's 25 days from now. We're recording on Thursday this week. Uh, That's going to open the door for eight hours of training, conditioning, and film review per week for teams. Uh, It takes a different gear on the 24th of July. Uh, Then through August 26th, 20 hours a week, 
eight of them for training and conditioning, six of them for walkthroughs with a football, Sean. We're going to have a football on the field at Penn State for the first time in 2020. Hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. Uh, And then six for team meetings and film um, during that final week of July, first week of August. The big date to know here. August 7th, that's when a 29-day practice period starts across college football for the programs that are kicking off on September 5th, that weekend. And that's where Penn State falls in. They are slated to host Kent State in Beaver Stadium on September 5th. And they're going to have the ability during that 29-day period starting on August 7th to have 25 on-field practices particularly of importance here. You've got a first-year offensive coordinator who's also your first-year quarterbacks coach working with a first-year offensive line coach and a first-year wide receivers coach. We know there's some turnover on defense with John Scott looking at the defensive line, having to assess those players, but squarely the spotlight is going to fall on Kirk Sharaka, Sean Clifford, the passing attack, and and Phil Troutwine trying to take that offensive line to the next level. A lot of that can get underway in the next eight weeks. And, and rightfully so. I mean, that's going to be the spot that everybody looks at. That offense is is really the make or break, and and revolves around Sean Clifford, but it also revolves around that 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 offense. You know, gaining an identity and taking shape because we expect them to run the football more. We expect them uh, to the offensive line to be better. Um, you know, we expect this is probably the best offensive line that group that they have uh, or they've had since. Uh, since James Franklin's been here. So, you know, it's kind of coming together from a concept standpoint, and, and that's what you're going to want to see. We spoke spoke to Noah Kane this week, and, uh, you know, he I think he's going to be a big part of it and, you know, going to see some sort of running back rotation, not in the sense that we saw last year where it was these guys take two, uh, you know, two – it just, you know, you guys these guys take two drives and then you switch to another guy. It was so – you know, discombobulated because they said they were going to run the hot hand and then didn't. And it was just, you know, it was a frustrating time for a while. Then it sort of broke loose and, and you got Journey Brown hot, you got him going and, and, and he was the obvious hot hand when Noah Kane got injured. So, I mean, there, there, there's levels to this and, and Kane's a really good back and Devin Ford's a really good back and Kaziah Holmes is a really good prospect. So, you know, there's going to be some juggling there, but, uh, you know, you pretty much know what, what you're looking at going into the season. And I think that's a good start. Uh, you know, uh, the expectations of of course, are on Clifford. The expectations are on you know the, the guys that are, are going to be the make or break guys. But uh, you know it'll be fun. It'll be fun to find out. And you know, twenty nine days of practice, uh, twenty five practices allowed doesn't really change much of what you're doing. Of course, you miss the spring, so you're going to try and make that up in July and make that up in the time uh, leading up to uh, preseason practice. But uh, you know, for for all that's going on, for all that's taken place in the last six months, uh, you know, it's a pretty good spot to be. Real-world circumstances uh, considered here, big picture, it's a good landing spot for Penn State football. It's a good landing spot for college football as this gets enacted. Now we're going to keep seeing you know, little clusters of, of, of virus issues breaking out on campuses. Probably inevitable that something happens here in State College. Uh, but you're seeing programs work their way through these things. That's not unexpected at all. Sean, we're going to talk about that offensive backfield in a moment because Noah Kane gave us some fresh insight on that group and for his expectations where he's at right now personally. Uh, but going back to, to the return of Penn State football here on campus, we talked a lot about the players. Got a note here, the coaching staff not involved yet. Right now, um, you know, the responsibility is is kind of under the, the in the basket for Dwight Galt, uh, his training staff. Obviously, the medical professionals at Penn State who are uh, trying to, to, to get these guys uh, back involved, but it, it takes a it takes a process. There's stages; they get tested, uh, and then every day there's different medical questionnaires and all that. But you're very much, uh, you know, in tune with the Penn State staff on, on kind of how how they're dealing with this offseason. What's your kind of thought process on the checklist for James Franklin and his assistants once they take over full control? It's hard to say they've ever given up full control because that's the way these coaches are. But once they're really back on campus, regaining access to their players, what's the checklist look like from your standpoint? I mean, first off, you, you got to trust Dwight Galt. I mean, that's the that's that's why they have that staff. Um, is really good staff with Chuck Losey and Barry Gant and those guys that are phenomenal at what they do. So you got to trust your strength staff. We I think we said it two weeks ago. 
that you better have those guys ready to go because they are your number one line of defense against, uh, you know, falling behind. So you got to trust those guys. And that, that level of communication between Galt and, and Franklin is constant. So it, it's really, you know, that's sort of a, an extension of James Franklin. So those guys have to be number one. Of course, the medical, uh, the medical staff, the medical crew, um, you know, are, are right there at one B, I would say. So you got, you got to get that communication going. It's a lot of research and, uh, um, you know, data gathering for some of those guys because they're f- trying to figure out the best practices and is the best practice a group of four? Is the best practice a group of six? And when do you expand that to eight and 12 and things, you know, just where you're working out, um, you know, working out from the inside out. So that's the first thing you got, you got to get those guys accustomed physically, um, you know, that mental stuff and the, and the, the, the film, they've been going over that the entire time. So you hope that people haven't really, you know, fallen off too much from it. So, I, I think that's number one. You got to get those guys on the same page. And, and for the most part, you know, they are on the same page and they have been. And a lot of those guys have been in state college the entire time directing these guys through their virtual workouts or they're, they're throwing the stuff through the iPad and all that kind of stuff. So you got that going. Um, then you got to get those uh, film guys back. Uh, Jevin Stone does a fantastic job at film, um, you know, getting these guys the clips that they need and the concepts that they need throughout the, uh, you know, throughout their virtual teaching sort of thing. So you go from there. So basically you've got to have, you know, when, when Franklin talks about building a staff, I mean, you're building guys out that, you know, you you really don't hear from very often that have very important jobs. And I think that's really where this, this really comes up um, when you're talking about, uh, filling in those gaps because the, the staff won't be in the building again until next week. Um, and I think that's, yeah, until next week. And uh, it, it's, there's a disconnect there, but if you got guys working under you that can, can sort of bridge that gap, that's where you want to be. So once you get those guys back in, you start to meet with them. I think it was six hours for team meetings starting, or excuse me, eight hours of training, conditioning and film review. And then you take it up and you go 20 hours for training, conditioning, walk through team meetings, things like that. That will all start to ramp up in July. So the actual coaching of them, you know, the the football coaches doing the thing where they actually coach them is going to be more in July. So you've got to get those guys ready from a physical and from a mental aspect in June to hit the ground running on July 13th. So I think that's really what you're doing is you're building it up. You've got those lines of communication open. Um, you're obviously not meeting with players right now, but you still keep that open. And, and, and really, I think that's something that that a lot of these programs that will be successful coming out of this shutdown are going to do is they're going to take these best practices that they've learned, the Zoom meetings. I mean, because it's, it, I mean, it's like working from home, really. It's like you can be very efficient working from home. You can be more efficient working from home than you can be from the office. You know, some people have realized that during the shutdown that, hey, you don't need to be right there. So you can take these things, you can take uh, the elements that sort of uh, drive up your efficiency and cut down your time wasting. You can take that into the future. So I think that that, you know, that there's a whole nother analytics staff for that. There's a whole nother, uh, you know, the recruiting staff is, is doing a lot of that right now. So um, adapting and learning to what you've done over the last couple of months that will make you better in the next couple of years. I think something that's probably overlooked and something that will definitely take place, you know, coming out of this whole thing. It's an all hands on deck approach for the Penn State staff. As you alluded to, a lot of moving parts involved here, a lot of guys behind the scenes and women behind the scenes uh, working towards getting this program uh, operating at full steam ahead towards that September 5th kickoff. And Sean, another good point that, that you brought up in there is is making these guys, uh, the players and coaches and that rapport, putting it in a comfortable spot by the time you get into these pivotal dates during the second half of July. I think there's no doubt about it for anybody re-entering the workforce in person right now. My wife's back in the office this week for the first time. I'm sure we have listeners who are returning to their office for the first time or already have. There is, you know, it's it's different. It's different than it was before. And there's new protocols in place and there's new concerns in place. And when you've got these players who are going to have questions, you certainly have parents across the country who are going to have a lot of questions for this staff as the process continues. They're going to be checking in more frequently than I would imagine ever before. Uh, But just centrally located here on campus, before you get into that second half of July, how much can you make this seem like a, a, a repetition? How can you make it seem like this is the new daily process? Because we hear Franklin, you know, day by day by day, whether it's the season or whether it's uh, you know the middle of the winter, uh, they want this program to to kind of hold itself to a certain standard 
every day. And and these guys have really bought into it a lot. You know, the one and zero mentality. They don't just apply that to the season. It's about being one and zero today, being one and zero tomorrow, being one and zero the next day. Uh, right now, I, I think it's a lot easier to do that when when you know what to expect. Right now, I think there are a lot of unexpected aspects of this process, and and that's why I think it's so important for them to be able to be on campus here. You know, on June eighteenth for this many guys, and and now to have the freshmen joining the group. You still give yourself, you know, what four weeks uh, before we're talking about uh, the real the real start of, of this offseason plan the NCAA put out. Another five six weeks from here on when you're talking about uh, getting the football on the field and actually lining these guys up and and getting the concepts in place and and seeing which eleven makes sense on the football field. So I, I think that's going to be a really important thing is is trying to make this surreal moment feel as normalized as possible in a five, six week span so they can really dig deep on the football concepts because you know once once students get back to campus in late August and and, and the campus gets rolling again, there's going to be a whole new set of potential distractions and pitfalls for this program because of the circumstances. So going to be huge to maximize this summer. Yeah, challenge. That's such a challenge because they're college kids and you know it's it's a distraction for you know, you and I just to do everyday everyday things right now. Well, when you when you contain them to that area, you make them do the same thing over and over again. And you want to you want to build that routine and make that routine so busy that you you know basically take them uh, take the other options away. And that's you know uh, kind of a, a weird way to say it, but at the same time, I mean, you want these guys as focused as possible if you're going to keep your team as healthy as possible. So you go with that and then you bring them back and you give them the tools to be successful and the tools to work where you've got a weight room, you know, which these guys, you know, a lot of these guys probably haven't had that sort of uh, balance and that sort of structure for the last couple of months. That's, that's a big part of it, of getting back into it. Another reinforcement here of the realities beyond the football field that, that we're dealing with here as a nation and, and Penn State as a football program. Noah Kane's conversation on Tuesday took a quick turn a few minutes into that. Uh, very much football focused early on. And then he brought up the fact that four family members um, had COVID-19 and that included his mother. Um, who who attended a funeral in Louisiana? Uh, Noah Kane, you know he's a, he's a well traveled young man. His hometown is Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Played high school football in the Dallas, Texas area. Finished it up in Bradenton, Florida, at IMG Academy. He trains in Arizona. He did not go home to Louisiana because uh, that's where infected family members were. It was a spot that his family determined would be best for him to stay away from. Uh, he was in uh, Texas. He was in Arizona during the recent months. Um, he says uh, he saw up close and personal and uh, and really experienced through his family the, the, the real impact of what a virus can do to you physically and, and the toll it can take on your body. He sounded like he was pretty shaken up by that process. He certainly sounded like he was concerned about getting on an airplane to come back here. And although he had a good experience there uh, on the plane, he said it, people were spread out flying in from Arizona to Baltimore to get back here to State College. But he had a pretty serious conversation with his parents, Sean, about uh, maybe having some pause about returning uh, with phase one and, and with Penn State football uh, this quickly to campus. It ultimately, it was determined that you know it would be good for him to get back with the team. But but two, State College is a pretty good place to be in this moment. We'll see what happens w- when college kids come back to campus. But in terms of cases, in terms of population, it's a good place to be at this stage. Um, and, and he says he's been spending time in cities in Texas and Arizona. Um, so this is... This was really interesting to hear this all from Noah Kane, and I've said this before on the podcast more than once. Going back to my first conversations with Noah when he was at Denton Geyer High School in Texas uh, before his sophomore year, always came off as as mature beyond his years, uh, a kid who sees a bigger picture than, than the football in front of him, and this was a, a further reflection of, of that mentality that, w- that we get from Kane. Yeah, did a nice job talking about it too, and uh, it was really it was really interesting to read that you guys were on the call. I was not, but it was really interesting to read where he's been, what his mindset has been, what his parents' mindset was, and said, "Get back to State College. That's an isolated area. That's a spot where it's not very high. You know, you you obviously are." 
you know, I, I, and he didn't see his family very much throughout this shutdown, so that sucks. Um, it's just a lot going on, and for him to talk about it and and describe it as he did was uh, was something because it was you know it was a surprise to a lot of people. So um, good to hear everyone's doing well. Um, yeah, I should for, note for, that he says yeah. everyone is is recovered. Yeah, but like he said, he, it wasn't just an asymptomatic situation. His mom, w- he he said, you know, his mom was really feeling the 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 effects, and she kept testing positive and testing positive uh and it was a long process to get to the point where uh, she actually got a negative test back for covid so scary situation scary yeah thank goodness for that so um we got uh you know his his injury last year i'm sure maybe puts it in perspective a little bit not as uh not as serious as as it could have been he talked about that uh you know his his mindset and his way of approaching uh you know coming back so soon when you know it was just uh you know a, a turn wrong way or a cut the wrong way could have ended his season uh really helped him to uh to figure out his patience and his his way of thinking about things like that um you know he looks a little different now or at least he says he looks a little different we haven't seen him yet but uh you know he's he's always been a big back and that big back last year was about uh what 212 or something like that says he's tipping the scales at 223 before spring break but feels more explosive and more healthy he can get more explosive i mean that's uh that's certainly a, a notch there because he's that big back that moves the pile that moves the chains doesn't really break off the big run so if he can get more explosive you know add a little bit to that uh you know he's 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 a four probably a high four six low four seven guy um if he can add some uh add some wheels to the mix that's a pretty dangerous combination for a really good back and this is a kid who trains at a high level, you know, and, and, and does it with professionals. He is not someone out there pushing cars in neutral to, to stay in shape. He was uh, pretty dialed in, he said, during recent months with a trainer in Arizona who he's worked with and um, basically says he doesn't feel like he's missed a beat. If anything, he, he's, he's healthier than he felt heading out of campus and he feels like he's uh, in better shape. Um, I, I don't think that's, that's anything against what he had going on at Penn State. It's more so he was building off of where he already was coming out of winter conditioning. And yeah, he, he kind of was surprised by his own weight gain. You know, that was one notable thing that came away uh, from the spring roster update on, on Penn State's website is you know, Noah came putting on this weight going up beyond 220 pounds. He enrolled, he said, at about 205 to 210 um, in January 2019. Uh, felt like he'd lost some baby fat during that first semester, then started to trim up. And um, he's a kid who's always kind of had that natural stockiness to him. He's, 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 he's equipped with some body armor there as a running back. Not a kid that you ever said he's going to have to you know put on put on a bunch of weight, put on a bunch of muscle. But he says it's come naturally. He said he's stuck to the same regimen in terms of, of meal planning, uh, his nutrition intake. And he said he was surprised he would put on four pounds here, five pounds here. Um, but but he doesn't think that's bad weight uh, at all. I, I, I have a feeling that we're going to see this kid on the field and, and we're going to agree with him. We, we only saw him on camera, uh, you know, from kind of his upper body. Kid looks like he's in fine shape to me. And I think with Noah Kane, again, I want to really point out that he has always put himself on a path and those around him have always put him on a path towards college stardom and toward NFL opportunities. He has been talking uh, about all of this kind of stuff since his earliest days of high school, if not before that. He was the initial number one ranked running back for 24-7 sports when they put out the 2019 um, recruit rankings before his sophomore season. He's a kid who went to IMG Academy and shared the backfield with the five-star running back and Trey Saunders for two years, a kid who ended up uh, at, at Alabama. So this is a kid who is equipped mentally um, for a lot. And I think, you know, he, he's someone who, when he talks about uh, the, the, the weight being not, not a detriment, and, and I believe him. I firmly believe him. Some guys you might wonder and scratch your head, but everything that this kid has done has really been geared towards putting himself in the best spot to succeed on the football field. And that goes back to his signing day comments where he says, I'll be spending three years at Penn State. That's the goal. Three and done off to the NFL. I know Franklin doesn't fall in love with comments like that, especially from guys who haven't gotten to campus yet. But through year one and what he accomplished, I'm not going to disagree with young Mr. Kane. He does not want a senior year at Penn State, no. and I don't think that's that's not a disrespect <laughs> to Penn State. But also, that running back room right now, Journey Brown, obviously, I think he's the lead dog. Nobody uh, really debates that based on the way he ended his season last year. 
216. You've got uh, Kane at 510, 223. Devin Ford, 5'11", 200. Um, you know, you're curious to see what kind of weight he's going to put on, what kind of size he's going to put on, because Kaziah Holmes, 5'11", 208. So, and, and then Kevon Lee is going to show up this summer, or this weekend, excuse me, um, and you're not sure. I mean, he could be any – he's he's told us he's anywhere between, what, 215 and 235. So, not yeah, sure where he's going to end I, up. I, my but. guess is I, – I really don't know, but I would, I would probably – veer towards him showing up you know maybe 220 plus yeah yeah i mean so you've got a a very a variable uh smorgasbord of, of backs to go from and and they're all pretty talented so looking forward to seeing that uh noah kane said on the call that uh, journey brown was college football's best running back during that final stretch last year um you look at the numbers it's uh he can certainly make an argument for that and uh you know devin ford is a guy that's really helped him um you know devin as we've talked about before has played some different positions has been able to uh, you know, sort of uh, grasp whatever what's all going on, and and actually help Noah Kane with the playbook. You just named off uh, five of those running backs, and 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 four of them were four stars coming out of high school. We all know who the three star was, Journey Brown, um, and five hundred ninety three rushing yards, nine touchdowns in the final five games of twenty nineteen. That included Cotton Bowl MVP honors. He set a postseason record against Memphis for Penn State with two hundred plus rushing yards in that matchup. And um, yeah, you know, Noah Kane right after that game in the locker room, I had a chance to speak with him one-on-one for a bit and he tipped his cap the journey. He said he had earned everything he got. He had earned any kind of hype that comes with this off season. And there has been a fair amount. We saw Barton Simmons scouting director for 24 seven sports uh, list journey Brown as the number five running back in the country uh, entering this season. That's pretty high praise considering where we were in the conversation with journey Brown this time last year, he was away from campus thought he might get buried on the depth chart. And there were stages last year, um, and, and you know it started off with that rotation that you mentioned, where it was two series here, two series there, another two series for somebody else, and you get to the end of the game, and no one has more than seven or eight carries, and we're scratching our heads wondering how someone's going to find a rhythm. Then Noah Kane really hits his stride. It was that game at Iowa uh, where he, he he entered the spotlight. I think he had double-digit carries in the fourth quarter alone as they put that game away. The week before, he had a 100-yard game against Purdue. So back-to-back 100-yard games. They come home against Michigan. Um, didn't have a big game there, but they cap off that huge October, and Kane's your starter against Michigan State. And you think, okay, this is the freshman's backfield now. He's going to take it over. One series later, he's injured and he's done for for the next month, which opens the door for uh, for Brown to absolutely take control. We know Ricky Slade's no longer in that mix, but you mentioned Devin Ford uh, before I kind of brought everybody back up to speed in case they had forgotten about that wild 2019 ride in the backfield. Yeah, Devin Ford came in you know, five months after Noah Kane uh, as, as a summer enrollee last year. Not only did he make a huge impact immediately when they hit training camp, uh, because Jaywan Sider says he really thought they were going to be able to do a three-man rotation. It sounded like they, they were anticipating a red shirt for Devin, but the things he was able to do on the practice field, the moves he was able to make, uh, that changed their mind in a hurry. And of course, by the way, Devin Ford be- became the first freshman in a couple decades at Penn State to run for 100-plus yards in his first college game, in, in game one. So he did a lot in a hurry, but as you said, the mental aspect for Noah Kane to say after spending an entire spring semester working with veterans, Journey Brown, Ricky Slade, a couple touchdowns in the blue white game. Then Devin Ford comes to campus and he says he leaned on Devin entering the 2019 season to really fully grasp what running backs needed to accomplish in that playbook. That says a lot about Devin Ford as kind of a total package moving ahead. And, you know, we have both spoken very highly of him. He was a top 10 running back for a reason. And it's a really nice situation for for J1 Sider as he gets back to campus. Yeah, I've always been really high on Devin Ford. Not only, you know, I really loved his high school film, the way that he, um, you know, he played basically receiver his last year at, at North Stafford while Tevin White got accustomed to playing uh, running back as I think a freshman. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you, the, Devin Ford is just a guy that you put, you know, wherever you put him, he was successful. And that's uh, something that I, I, you know, when I'm evaluating kids, I, I like to see them play different positions. I like to see them play different, uh, you know, play on defense if you're a running back. And and then all of a sudden he shows up to campus and he's, you know, he, he goes sub four or five, which nobody expected up here. So um, he's got the physical aspect plus the mental aspect. I just think he's, you know, if 
if all things line up, I think he can be a tremendous player. Um, there's just there's a lot to overcome right now, and, and he started behind, and uh, you know he didn't exactly you know he he, he did really some really good things when he arrived, but it was so it was such a jump to make that to from from his high school level to to the Big Ten that. It's, uh, you know, it didn't really work out in the extended playing time. I think they were, you know, they were looking to lean on him a little bit more during the uh, end of the season. You take a look at the broadcast, I think, of, of the Minnesota game or one of those games late in the year. They were expecting Devin Ford to, you know, sort of take on a bigger role. And then all of a sudden, Journey Brown gets going and really not much you can do about that. So I'm excited to see what Ford can bring to the table. We had that uh, mailbag question on the first episode this week. I think we can see him in a two back set that can move to the slot that can move around and, and do some, do some things. So I'm excited to see where Devin Ford is when he comes back. I'm excited to see him, uh, you know, sort of, uh, to, you know, I stake his claim for some of those carries and I think he can do, do a really good job. Just a couple quotes we gathered from J1 Sider during a conversation this spring, in case you were wondering how excited he is about Devin Ford. He said, I don't think the gap between Brown and Kane and Ford is far He's got the best hips I've ever seen out of a player. Go check the list of NFL eventual NFL players that J1 Sider has coached during his career. He also says he's going to play football for a long time. So that for a guy who's projected as your number three running back in 2020, high praise from J1 Sider. Um, running backs get injured, as we saw last year with Noah Kane, as we've seen in years past. And, and to have this kind of depth is huge. And, and going back to that injury real quick, Noah Kane you know, kind of had that, uh, you know, a pretty smooth uh, process in high school. A uh, guy who, you know, didn't have to take on 300 carries a game as an upperclassman at IMG because, as I said, uh, shared the backfield with an eventual Alabama running back. Um, didn't take a lot of wear and tear on his body. Um, and, and, you know, got to campus right off the bat. He took advantage of his opportunities. But that month away from the field, I think he learned a lot. He's a guy, as I, as I said, the focus is on the NFL for him. Um, very much so. But J1 Sider and James Franklin almost had to remind him about the long-term aspect here because he was so much about getting on that field at Minnesota, going through warm-ups, proving he could play, doing the same thing back home against Indiana, at Ohio State. All these games he wanted to help Penn State uh, in the thick of a Big Ten race couldn't get out there, but you know, you talk to him. He would have, if he had the call, he would have been out there carrying the football. He says he learned a lot about um, parsing through what matters in this moment and what matters for him and for the program long term, and 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 that kind of stood out from his freshman experience when we spoke with him. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting situation, no doubt. And he's got that that IMG mindset, that development that he's had, and you know, he's still fairly fresh. So excited to see what all these guys can do. I mean, uh, he mentioned that all of them are unproven. That's you know, that's I could see a way that he could spin that. But yeah, we've seen a lot of what these guys can do, and we know we know they got some talent. Yeah, he's they're rebooting uh, mentally. I think that's at least the effort uh, and saying last year is last year because they finished on such a high note in that running back room. Noah Kane came back 90-plus yards and two touchdowns in the Cotton Bowl. Devin Ford scored in the Cotton Bowl. And, of course, Journey Brown went bonkers in Dallas. So a, a lot to like about them coming into the, the 2020 uh, preseason lead-up. Uh, but Noah Kane says that they're trying to you know hit that reboot button. And by the way, the coming back with with, with an interesting arsenal. We mentioned Kevon Lee, um, a, a guy that we really don't know, necessarily know what to expect from. He didn't play as a senior in high school. He's he's a bigger running back right now. Kazai Holmes was already on campus. Noah Kane, J1 Sider, uh, both you know kind of echoed each other when we when we spoke with each in recent months as uh, saying that Kaziah Holmes was able to to knock off some of that maybe homesickness early on getting to campus and the winter conditioning program it looked like a guy who was ready to keep up with the pack maybe contribute as a freshman and we saw them burn two red shirts last year in that running back room uh, he's the guy if you're looking for that happening again in 2020 he's certainly where my focus lies yeah, I mean it's uh, it's anyone's guess because it's. I mean, we, we saw it last year with with those guys behind Slade and and Brown. You were wondering if they could break through if there was enough carries. And and this year, I think it's even more uh, of an uphill climb for those freshmen, considering what we've seen from from Brown and Kane and Ford so far. So 
Uh, it's going to be another interesting dynamic. I think they're going to run the football a lot, so I think that helps. You're going to be able to add some carries in there. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting dynamic because that's uh, that's a lot of talent in one room and, and one football. So we'll see. Do, do they work more guys with uh, with two back sets? Do they – you know, to take a, you know, sort of a conservative approach during the early part of the season, maybe Sands Virginia Tech, where you've got, uh, you know, you get those younger guys some carries and, and does that chip away at Journey's, you know, potential for a, for a, for an award at the end of the season or something like that. So what were you going to say there? Uh, I was going to say the H word <laughs> and then I remembered he's not a quarterback. So didn't want to throw that one out there too recklessly. So, uh, yeah, we, I think there's, there's some things to take into account there, but there's also, I mean, you got to like it if you're a running back. You got to like it if you're an offensive lineman. You got to like it if you're Phil Troutwine. So, uh, there's a lot going. We, we talk so much about the receivers on this show because it's such a big question mark. But at the, on the flip side, I think you got to feel really good about the running game. I think that, you know, uh, what Kirk Shirak has done in the past has sort of paved the way for what they want to do. And, and this team is built pretty well to, to do what he wants to do. It feels like a group that can carry them. And if the offensive line play is elevated, uh, furthermore so, uh, we'll find out all about that in, in two months from now. Um, but but to your point, yeah, the running back room, uh, carries likely to be distributed. Once again, the ball was dominated by Miles Sanders and Saquon Barkley in years past. Was not the case last year. Even with Journey Brown's success, don't know that that will be the case this fall. Just too talented, too much depth. Um, looking at the College Football Hall of Fame ballot that came out this week, Sean, uh, some familiar names for Penn State fans who are, are hoping for 2021 induction into the Hall of Fame. Uh, offensive lineman Steve Wisniewski, uh, running back DJ Dozier, uh, wide receiver Bobby Ingram. Ingram playing in the early 90s, part of that 94 squad. Um, the other two winning a championship in 1986 with Penn State. Um, so again, I know that you weren't around for the first two, but Bobby Ingram, you probably have some maybe early recollections of, Sean. Any thoughts generally on, on this trio as they, they try to make their case? By the way, Kerry Collins, 2018 inductee, is the, the most recent College Football Hall of Famer from Penn State. Yeah, if you just look at the level of player that are just on the ballot, I mean, the, these are some of the, the greatest of all time. So it shows you where that bar is for the College Football Hall of Fame. It's just so many great players. Uh, Wisniewski grew up obviously watching him with the Raiders and just a, uh, a win at all cost type offensive lineman. We'll call him dirty. Yeah, he was dirty. Um, <laughs> he was one of the best of all time. Uh, Dozier. Um, you know, in that lineage of running backs, uh, that is, you know, stacks up with any in the country, uh, you know, for a stretch there. And Bobby Ingram, we got a question, uh, in the, uh, five star mailbag last week about the, uh, the wide receiver position asking my top five wide receiver, receivers of all time. And I'll, I'll spoil that from Saquon Sanders. Here we go. His was OJ McDuffie, Bobby Ingram, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, and Joe Jurvicious. Um, so he, Tyler tried to spring this one on me last, or the first episode <laughs> this week. I hadn't seen it yet and he's like okay we're ready to record and I'm like dude I can't I can't do that right now on the spot so um but but I took some time thought about it I got Ingram as my number one. I mean, I just, as a kid watching him, you know, sort of in that wheelhouse where you're the most impressionable about uh, which players do the big things. Bobby Ingram did the big things. He was fantastic. He's my number one. And then, of course, I moved to Allen Robinson as my number two. Uh, the best that I've seen in terms of changing a game. Uh, just, you know, there were, there have been some really good guys that have taken over games at certain point, but you could always expect Allen Robinson to do that, especially when, you know, you didn't really have the number two to turn to maybe like a Chris Godwin had and Chris Godwin's my number three Chris Godwin is as talented as anybody I think Chris Godwin's probably more talented than Allen Robinson in terms of receiver skills but Allen Robinson could go up get it done and obviously the, the Michigan catch is the one that sticks out um, but that's uh, that's really where I'm going with that because you're not you're not really seeing too much separation between Robinson and Godwin, and, and obviously those guys are two of the top receivers in the NFL right now. Godwin is a guy that I, I looked back last night uh, when I was thinking about this, and you know I was talking or I saw him at a seven on seven with uh, with Darius Wade, uh, his his former high school quarterback in Delaware before he even got offered, and I saw him at camp one year before he picked up an offer. And this was a time when Penn State was stingy with offers because they had just uh, you know gotten the uh, the the sanctions had come down and things like that, and I'm like. This kid, he's something. I know he's from Delaware, but he's something. He's really good and followed him throughout his high school career. And just it's, this is a guy that you knew one of the first times you saw him that he was going to be something and he turned into something. That's a good feeling when you're, when you 
you know, can do that that early in his recruitment. His Number his four, bank his bank account is about to be something too. The Buccaneers yeah, yeah. the Buccaneers are going to take good care of him if they don't. Someone else will. Yeah, it's that, and you know, you you watch a guy like that, and you say, "Oh, he's so good. He makes these plays." And and he had the supporting cast that he had probably kept him lower on this list because he had Gasicki and Hamilton and some of those other guys, and obviously a running back taking uh, some of that shine away from him. And Robinson didn't have that as much, um, but uh, just the things that he did were so natural, were so smooth. And when he got drafted, you know, by the by the Buccaneers, I'm like. There, there's no way this kid can't be a success. I mean, this he had everything going for him, uh, and he was a better athlete than people will want to remember because he was a four four guy at the combine. Which you know, he was a four four guy in in at camp, at that camp in high school. He ran a, if I remember correctly, a four four eight. And Troy Apke was there with a four four seven, and you know they brought some legitimate speed to that to that camp and. It's just like, okay, well, this kid's got it all. So he's going to be successful no matter what he does. And did, did I expect him to be at, you know, the top five receiver in the NFL this year? Maybe not, but uh, neither you know, did NFL good. scouts, Fitz. He was a third exactly. round pick. Yeah, exactly. So love Chris Godwin. I'll go to OJ McDuffie, number four. I don't remember him as much. He was like, you know, I'm a little bit younger than that. Um, so, but the things that he did at, at the college game and in the NFL are, are both uh, notable and, uh, for inclusion here. And number five, I'm going to go uh, along those same lines. Kenny Jackson, uh, Penn State didn't throw the ball as much. And, and obviously the game is so much different than it was when he played, but uh, two-time All-American for Penn State. Uh, I got to put him on this list. Honorable mention, Dion Butler, who I was a student when Dion Butler uh, was here for part of that time. And, you, you know, just you think about those three guys that came through at the same time. Uh, Dion Butler was, was fantastic. The story is great as well. Joe Juravicious, you know, uh, Really good player in the college and the NFL level. Deshaun Hamilton, I think, is underrated. Not sure where KJ Hamler fits on this list, but I want to mention him because he's the most electric receiver that I've seen just on a different level in terms of taking off and acceleration. And then Brian Johnson uh, was also a student for the end of his career. Um, really as good of a one year as anybody could mention, or could mention, and he turned that into a first round pick. So, uh, we didn't really expect to go this way before the, uh, before the ad break, but here we are. And there's my top five receivers. <laughs> yeah. There's a top five and it starts with Ingram, who is you one of the stash the mailbag in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the ma- piece of mail fell out of the bag early on this show today. And, and that's okay. This is a, there's a top five and, and there's the case for all those guys. Hamler probably put together a highlight tape that stacks up against just about any receiver in Penn State history, but probably needed another year, I think, uh, another very productive year uh, to to really state his case in in terms of a a legacy that would hold up against some of these other names that you have mentioned. Um, I will say uh, Joe Jarevicius, near and dear to my heart as a young Buccaneers fan, and Eagles fans out there will remember this, came up with maybe the momentum swinging play in the 2003 NFC Championship game, 71-yard reception while he was dealing with you know heartbreak uh with with a newborn situation uh his child and and that was just a memorable moment from from early on watching football was him running down the field after burning uh blame bishop uh eagles safety so i go to jared vicious pretty quickly in the conversation but i didn't watch these guys like you did sean i don't have that that kind of uh track record of following nittany lines as you do and I uh, appreciate your list, man. I think Chris Godwin with Tom Brady is going to continue to prove you right here in 2020 and beyond. Um, one other note here as we're on wide receivers, Taylor Stubblefield, uh, he has drawn some early reviews that aren't exactly uh, great from uh, our message board because of the recruiting situation at, at receiver and uh, not being as positive as many had hoped at this stage of the cycle, but you cannot, again, undervalue what he accomplished as a player and what that maybe can do for him on the recruiting trail as he gets to know these targets a bit better. A reminder, he left Purdue in 2005 as the NCAA's all-time leader in career receptions. All-time leader in career receptions, 325 catches in a Boilermakers uniform. He was a first-team consensus All-American his senior year, a Bolitnikov finalist, and he's on this list. Sean, he no longer is the NCAA leader. He's number six on that list now. Passing games have ramped up in college football during the last decade and a half, but he is still the all-time Big Ten receptions leader. I know there's a lot of big names on this ballot, and they include guys who went on to major NFL careers that's not supposed to be factored in, but just more marquee names than Taylor Stubblefield. That resume, I don't know how you keep him out of the Hall of Fame for college football. 
Uh, I know, I know Purdue was ahead of the time in terms of, you know, sort of the air raid, you know, throw the ball over the field, but for him to be number six, this, this over that stretch, do you think about what's happened to college football passing games for, for him to be number six means that that mark was set so high that, uh, you know, it's been, it's been tough to, 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 to bridge over almost an era of, of college football. So that's saying something. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, was a tremendous player and, you know, as a Penn State fan, you hope you can, you know, he, he, you hope he can turn that over into the coaching aspect. Uh, it was funny. I got, actually got two messages this week from college coaches that aren't, aren't associated with Penn State asking about Stubblefield and saw some of the criticism that came across. I don't know if that was on our podcast. I know some other people have written about it and they're like, man, that's, uh, that's pretty brutal, uh, a pretty brutal entry to the job. And, and I think, they, they kind of echoed, you know, the, the things that have gone on that have, you know, maybe held that up with not being able to get in front of people and things like that. But uh, I, I think he's a little bit more respected right now in, in the college coaching circles than uh, he would be in the Penn State circles when you're basing uh, off of the results on the recruiting so far. So it's an interesting dynamic because it was kind of out of the blue that I heard from these guys. So uh, really interesting uh, sort of uh, – you know, college coaches obviously stick up for one another a lot, but it's just kind of really random. And it was really a notable uh, entry to my week in terms of what uh, what the perception is in some groups and the perception is in others. The formula is pretty simple. Get these receivers back on track to a place that we haven't seen since 2017. If Taylor Stubblefield can do that, I think everything else will work itself out. But as we just stated, the resume as a player stands up against a ton, a ton of assistant coaches, head coaches across college football. That's big time stuff out of Taylor Stubblefield at Purdue. And because I know Sean is in a hurry to hit the road, get his family back here to State College, uh, his top five rundown with receiver, which was excellent and very detailed, as you just heard, that's going to represent our mailbag this week. We, we have a couple more uh, that we're going to stash for next week, and we anticipate more of those to come from you, our listeners. Go to Apple Podcasts, uh, put in your five-star rating and review, drop in a question or two. We're going to stay on receiver right now. It's been a topic here um, throughout the offseason, and one of the additions to the room is Malik Mega. Coming down from Montreal, Quebec, one of two Canadians in the 2020 class, along with Theo Johnson at tight end. Without further delay, here's a conversation with a young man his teammates call Megatron. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For the second consecutive month, a conversation here on the Lions 24-7 podcast goes international, and we go back to Canada. We spoke with Christian Veyu, the quarterback commit on board with the Nittany Lions last month, and here in June, we now turn our attention toward Malik Mega, an incoming wide receiver in Penn State's 2020 recruiting class, uh, committed to the program last summer. Uh, it was a pretty swift series, got the offer in May 2019, camped in June 2019, visited the Lash Bash in July, and he was committed uh, heading into his final season in Montreal, Quebec. Malik, want to thank you again for joining us, and we know that you got some good news recently. You finally have a timetable for your arrival. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's a great news. Can't wait to get there. You say June 21st is now the plan to get to Penn State. Some of your future teammates arrived on campus in recent days. Uh, what does it mean to you to know that there is a solution in place? Were you worried for a while about maybe getting to campus in 2020? Definitely, definitely. With that corona stuff, got a lot of stress in. I think for everybody, it brings a lot of, a lot of stress. But, I mean, we got to trust the process, got to trust God, and we, we will be fine for sure. So I'm pretty happy that we have a date, and the dream is coming true real soon. Exciting for you. Exciting for all of the freshmen. Your class delayed a little bit in arrival. Were you supposed to be on campus already? Yes, sir. I was. I was supposed to be on campus, I think, by 
June, first week of June, something like that. And right now it's, we're still at home, but I mean, it's getting better. So we, we stay positive. Soon you'll be here uh, in Happy Valley. It's about an eight hour car ride from home. Is that, is that correct? Yes, sir. Exactly. All right. And, and, and where exactly are you um, in Quebec? Are you in Montreal, the city? Are you outside the city? I'm in Montreal in the city. Uh, you were actually born in the Ivory Coast. That's a nation that's in the south coast of West Africa. When did you relocate to Canada and what was it like growing up in Montreal? All right. Uh, I have a pretty busy life. I can say that. I was born in Ivory Coast. I lived there for six years. Then I moved to Italy for four years because uh, of my mom's jobs. And then we moved to, to, um, then we moved to Canada for the rest of my life. I think it's been like nine years now. And it was pretty cool, to be honest. I had a lot of friends. Uh, it was a pretty enjoyable like, place to live in. Made a lot of connections. Started playing football here. So, I mean, it was a great time. It was a great time. You mentioned the, the years spent in Italy. Where in Italy were you? I was in Rome. So you have spent time um, in uh, two pretty significant international cities, uh, Rome. Yes, and, and, and when did football surface for you? Because I don't think that's exactly a popular sports <laughs> ticket in Rome. And, and I know not so much in Montreal either. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I was playing football, uh, soccer for like 10 years. So that was my first love. And then I started playing football. I think I was in the uh, United States, you call it. I think it's seventh grade. I'm mm -hmm. not sure, though. I'm not sure. I think it's seventh grade. I started playing football. At the beginning, I really didn't like it because I was I was used to playing with my feet, and now I got to catch balls and stuff like that. So it was a little difficult. But by, like, my ninth grade, I was pretty good at it. And that's when I stopped playing soccer to, like, fucking myself on football. In America, really, regardless of where you end up, there's going to be a lot of football fans. Um, up in Canada, I know it's a little bit more hit or miss. Who kind of guided you into the sport? It's called Coach Yves, Yves Dosu, one of my first coaches that I had. Uh, he coached me from sixth grade to, I think, ninth grade. It was a good coach. He played in the NCAA, so he's the one who really pushed me playing football because he saw the potential in me. And that was a great move because it paid off. It paid off. I certainly did. Got a lot of interest from FBS programs, Power 5 programs. And really quickly, I'm going to go over some of your numbers here that you produced last year. You correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but we've got you down at right. about six foot four, 195 pounds, a 442 40-yard dash, a 4.08 agility shuttle, and about a 36-inch vertical. Does that all sound about right? Yes, sir. Those numbers added together, pretty good on their own right. I don't care what sport we're talking about. And then we, <laughs> then I look at your production uh, from the last couple of seasons. You turned 67 catches into 1,564 yards and 14 touchdowns. That's about 23 and a half yards per catch the last couple of years. When did you really start to go from uh, a strong athlete to a strong football player? I think it was really, at the beginning, I was a little afraid of uh, like contact and stuff like that. Then I got hit one game and then I was like, damn, it ain't that bad. <laughs> it was like ninth grade. And I think that's really when it started for me. Like that's really when I started seeing like my potential and I was starting like watching the opening finals and all that in, on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, I really need to get there. So that's really when it really started for me to be a good player, good football player. And I started doing football camps in the States too that summer. So it really, when it started, I think it was grade nine. So that summer before grade 10 was when you first competed in, in football activities in America? Yes, sir. Was that an eye-opening experience for you? What, 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 how did maybe your perspective change about your approach to football after, after heading down? And, and where did you compete? Uh. We did a, a lot of camp with Coach Eve, like I tell you, uh, told you before. He is the coach who brings us. We was with Raw Talent. I don't know if you know them, with uh, Coach Iris in Cleveland. So we were a group of guys from Canada and a group of guys from the uh, United States. And we went a lot for like two weeks doing camps, Ohio State, uh, Toledo, 
We did uh, Syracuse. We did a bunch of camps. And then, you know, being a kid from Canada, I was seeing like a competition in the States, like, oh my God, it's going to be real tough. When I get there, it's going to be real tough. But when I get there, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You got to play football. You got to com compete with, with other players. You got to do your things. So I came there. I ran a pretty good uh, 40 yard dash. And then I had my first offer from uh, Ohio Bobcats. So that was cool, man. So that was real cool. Yes. Ohio gave you the first offer, and, and that list really started to grow. And by the end of last spring, uh, you had programs like Baylor, West Virginia, Syracuse, Tennessee, Louisville, South Carolina, and, of course, Penn State. Did the Penn State opportunity stand out to you right away? Definitely, definitely. It was a big prog program. You know, uh, growing up, you see a lot of big programs like Ohio State, Penn State, all that. You know, I will never think – that I could play there some some days, and it's a it's a dream coming true. You know, great opportunity uh, opportunity for me like to play, and I was really happy. I was really happy. You went down to the camp last June. I saw you compete there, and at the end of camp, Coach Franklin and the coaching staff pull you and several other receivers over for a little extra work and get a longer look at you. Was your heart racing? Did you did you feel like there was a lot on the line when you were going through that drill? Uh, definitely, but you know, like I said before, I started doing football camps I, uh, in the states in like ninth grade, so I got used to the to the competition, if I can say it like that. So I wasn't that nervous, a little bit for sure, because, you know, it's a big program. I ain't trying to let them down, you know. They see me like as a good player, so I'm trying to be great. and I'm trying to do my stuff, and I think I did pretty good that camp. And then very soon afterwards, uh, within two months, you are a part of that 2020 recruiting class. What did Sorry. your decision come down to? What other, what other schools were you seriously considering, and, and why was Penn State the choice? Uh, I was considering definitely Louisville and West Virginia because uh, we had a great connection with the coaches and all that uh, and the staff. But I mean, Penn State stood out because, you know, I know Jesse, Jesse Lookout. out. I was talking with him. He's a great, great player, great person. So it really was a big part of me uh, committing to Penn State because he, he talked French, he's from Africa too, all that, you know. Yeah, I had great relationship uh, with the coaches, Coach Franklin all them coaches for real. So it was, it really stood out from the other universities. And Jesse Lucchetta, of course, from Ottawa, uh, has played quite a bit of football the last couple of years for Penn State. Jonathan Sutherland, another player Sorry. out of Ontario, a, a team captain on special teams last year. Theo Johnson and you, a part of that 2020 class. And then we talk about Christian Veyu, the quarterback who's committed to the next recruiting class. Why is it working so well for Penn State in Canada right now? Uh, they they had great players before from Canada and you know the players I was there before they're recruiting the next players so I think that's why it's really a good connection then Penn State is not that far from Canada so you know parents can come uh, check the games and all that good stuff so I mean it's just a perfect place to be coaches have a great relationship with Canadian kids you know we want uh, we want to work so they 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 give us our opportunities. So it's pretty cool, man. It's really cool. When Christian was on the show, we talked about Ontario really taking a liking to Penn State football because of all the familiar names now on the roster. Quebec, that's that's a bit different. That's a different situation in Montreal. You don't see as many players come out of that area and go to the Division One football level as you do out of Ontario. What does this mean to you? And, and do you feel like the eyes of Montreal – Folks who pay attention to football, of course, they're going to be focused in on Penn State because of you? Definitely, definitely. I got a couple of kids that are talking to me. I have a couple of kids down in Florida right now from Quebec. So they they started getting them offers. So I'm waiting for them. I think Penn State going to look at them because I'm sending co uh, tapes to coaches. And they're pretty good players, man. We have a couple of good players up here in Canada in Montreal especially, so we got to check them out. They they just need a chance, you know. We don't, That's the difference between uh, being in the state and in Canada. The chance is so much different because, you know, in the States, they already have recruiters there. You know, in Canada, you got to 
take flights. You got to go to camps and all that to get the all the chance for them to look at you. But when they look at us, we're pretty good, man. We we don't fall into the pressure. Well, you mentioned something that that to me is obvious, but I think some people don't realize that there's just not as much exposure above the border, quite frankly, and, and there's just not as many coaches coming through. That's why we see guys like Jesse and Jonathan and Christian end up transferring to prep programs in the United States. Is that an option you ever explored? Definitely, definitely. I was supposed to be uh, playing Florida for, uh, I was called John Paul II. I think it was in Tallahassee. But I mean, we had a last minute problem. So I had to choose a CJEP. And I went to the best one that I can choose, CJEP de Montreal. I'm really proud of my decision. It really helped me, you know, coaches are great here, you know, so especially Coach Ronaldo is the one who took uh, took me to the opening, all that good stuff. So I'm really thankful to go to Wender. Do me a favor, because I don't, out of respect to your program, I don't want to butcher the name. Can you pronounce the school that you're coming out of in Quebec? Cégep du Vieux-Montréal. That's way better than I would have tried to say. Uh, <laughs> way better. So obviously Penn State at your position has undergone a leadership change. Uh, Coach Parker moving on to West Virginia and Coach yes, Stubblefield sir. coming in from Miami. Yes, how, t- how tough was it to see Parker move on very quickly after you signed? And, and additionally, how fast were you able to build a relationship with Coach Stubblefield? I mean, you know, at the beginning it was real tough because I built uh, a great relationship with Parker. You know, that was my guy. <laughs> And then when he moved out, I mean, it's a part of the, it's a part of the job, you know. He he want to be an echo one day, so he got to do his thing too. And then when Coach Stubblefield commit uh, took the place, you know, that was real cool because right when he took the the job, he came up here in Montreal with my coach. We we had dinner, so it was pretty cool, man. I was hyped, and it was a real good time. How have you been able to? already get a head start on working with Coach Stubblefield, even though you're not on campus yet, and he's not even on campus right now. Coach Stubblefield is a great coach, man. He really, he he's all about details, you know. If you have a play, you got to say it that, that way, you know. You can't say it the other way. And that's pretty cool, man, because football is a game of details. Who have the more, like, who execute them better is the one who's going to win the game, you know. So that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. When you look at the offense here at Penn State, it's also a new coordinator, a new play caller with Ricky Ronnie leaving and Kirk Shiraka coming on board. What, what is your expectation as a receiver for what this new Penn State offense is going to look like and, and how it's going to get the ball to its targets in the pass game? I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good because Minnesota last year had a pretty damn offensive, uh, I always call it, receive, receiving court. You know, they were storing the ball a lot. So... I'm expecting Penn, you know, it's Penn State, so, you know, we're going to run the ball. But I think we can make it happen with the receiver that we have. And I think that's what what's going to happen. And for your expectations, a lot of people don't know as much about you as some of the players uh, in this wide receiver class. A big part of that's probably because you are from Canada. But in your opinion, are you the kind of player who can come and push to make an impact as a true freshman? Or, or do you think it's going to be more of a long-term process to get to the field? Definitely trying to make an impact I'm, as a true freshman, you know. Uh, I think I have the chance, I have the capacity, I have a, the abilities to do that. You know, from, being from Canada, I'm a little older than the guys. I turned 19 in March, you know, so I'm like, I'm kind of mature if I can say it like that. So, you know, we have a brand new OC, so everybody will start from the, from the bottom, if I can say it like that. So everybody will have the same chance to be on the field, and you just got to compete, and I think I can do it for sure. And do you have a relationship with other members of the recruiting class, and, and how often are you in communication? Oh, for sure. I'll be talking with Jaden, Nick Dawkins, Keandre, Theo. We be talking a lot with all the guys. We have Snapchat group, you know, it's pretty fun. And man, we have a great relationship. It's a great recruiting class, and I can't wait to be with them, them boys. With, with each of those players you mentioned, they got on campus in, in January. They didn't get back from spring break and participate in practice like they thought they would, but they got there early. What's the early advice from them after that experience? 
hey, you got to work hard. You got to work hard. Training are tough, but you know, that's that's why you're playing football because you know it's a tough for yeah, it's a tough sport, but the reward is great. So keep pushing. And one of those players I want to quickly ask you to to expand on Theo Johnson, uh, one of the final additions to this 2020 class, the top ranked player out of your home country. How Sorry. big how big of a pickup was he for Penn State, and what do you think about his future? Uh, it was a great pickup. I remember I was. I was uh, having dinner and I was watching that Instagram live. You know, I was so hyped when he picked that, that Penn State casket. So I was really, really happy. It's a great player, man. For the position right now, I think you have a great impact from the beginning of his career at Penn State. He's a great player and he's going to be, he's going to be good. He's going to be great. Oh, my God. What <laughs> he will be doing great things at Penn State for sure. The two of you out of Canada could be a big part of the future of the passing attack. The last thing here, a two-part question about what lies ahead for you at Penn State. One, do you know what you want to uh, pursue academically as far as a major goes? And then two, do you know who your roommate is? <laughs> yes, sir. I want, I want to study in financial business. And my roommate is Perkin Washington out of Texas. He's going to be a great player, too. And he, he's a pretty cool person. All right. Well, two new wide receivers rooming together. Uh, Penn State football slowly returning to campus. Soon that will include Malik Mega coming down, making the trip from Montreal. Hey, thank you so much for the time. Really a fascinating background. We look forward to seeing your development continue at Penn State and uh, happy to have you. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Great stuff from Malik. Thank you again to him. One of several freshmen making their debut as Penn State players on campus this weekend. It's a big step for them. It's a big step for Penn State football, it feels like these last couple of weeks, doesn't it? And really across college football, optimism beginning to gain some traction. Gotta love that. We're back with another episode early next week, followed by a second episode that week. Thank you to all of you who have Helped us keep this thing afloat in the offseason during some times of disarray for the sports world. We continue to try to get better. You're a big part of that. Throw in your mailbag question on Apple Podcasts. Stay engaged with us on social media. And of course, follow our coverage at lions247.com where right now you can sign up one month for $1 or an entire year subscription at the VIP level for 30% off. Hope you choose to do so if you have not done so already. In the meantime, on behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.